this is Will Daniel speaking. I'm one of the creators of Gentlemen Prefer Bonds. As you'll hear in a moment, this was not the title we thought we would have when we recorded this episode, but it's the title we're running with now, and I like it. Right now, I have just a few quick housekeeping notes before we jump into the episode proper. First off, on recording quality, look, we're just a few guys who like James Bond a lot and have never done anything crazy like record a podcast before doing this. Our guest on this episode, our good friend Max Wilcox, who is now officially part of the show, which we could not be happier about, he recorded his part on a crazy new invention from Q-Branch called a, a microphone, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, while the two Wills, that is my friend Will Schlick and myself, we recorded ourselves on my iPhone like a couple of jerks. Suffice to say, the audio quality on this episode is a little bit uneven, and you'll notice a few times we lose sound for just a couple of seconds during the conversation. But, believe you me, we are working faster and more efficiently than is humanly possible to have a more professional recording setup and vastly superior audio quality for our next episode, which we're also planning to get on video and put this content on YouTube as well, which is really exciting for us. So if you're listening to this and thinking to yourself, man, I like hearing these three dudes gab about James Bond, but I wish the sound was a little cleaner, or if only I could see their faces, don't even worry about it, bro. We are going to hook you up for the next episode. One more topic, and it's a more fun topic, drinks. In honor of James Bond, who, like his creator Ian Fleming, enjoys a good drink, perhaps a bit too much, we thought it would be fun to have a themed cocktail for every episode based on the movie we're talking about. So if you're relaxing at home and listening to this and don't have to drive anywhere soon, go ahead, have a drink with us, take your socks off, relax, maybe pop in your Dr. No Blu-ray, have the movie on low volume in the background, let's get nuts. Or if you're at work and also insane, then I say roll the dice, grab that bottle from your desk drawer, what's the worst that could happen? It's 9 a.m., you say? It's 2020, we say. You think James Bond wouldn't have a drink with breakfast every day this year? Welcome to the real world, buddy. Since Dr. No takes place mostly in Jamaica, we thought it would be appropriate to feature a rum drink for this episode, so during this recording, each of us was sipping a dark and stormy. Classic rum mixed drink. It's basically a Moscow mule with a dark rum instead of vodka. You might hear some ice clinking around in a glass a few times during our conversation. That is no fancy sound effect added in post. That's just your hosts enjoying a drink on the job. Here's how I like to make a dark and stormy. Get yourself a standard rocks glass, fill it up most of the way with ice. Now add two ounces of dark rum. We made it with a brand called Diplomatico this week, which we liked a lot, but you can use any dark rum you prefer. Uh, Kraken's a really solid one for the price, and if you want to make it as Bondian as possible, James Bond actually drinks some Mount Gay and Casino Royale, which is a good rum that would work for this drink as well. So that's two ounces of dark rum in the glass, then fill it up with a nice spicy ginger beer. I like main root personally, then squeeze half a lime into the glass. And if you want it to look fancy, you can add an extra lime on top or stick one on the rim. And that's a nice refreshing rum mixed drink we totally recommend if you've never had one before. Of course, with James Bond, it's always appropriate to drink either a medium dry vodka martini, as Bond orders in the film and the novel Dr. No, or a Vesper martini, which Bond invents in Casino Royale. For a Vesper, put some ice in a metal shaker, add two ounces of gin, one ounce of vodka, and then half an ounce of Lillette Blanc, which is a French appetizer wine. James Bond orders it with Kina Lillette, which is unfortunately not made today, but Lillette Blanc is basically the same thing, so it'll work just fine for our homemade Vesper. For the gin, Hendrix is always a great choice, but Bombay Sapphire also works well for this. James Bond orders it with Gordon's, but I recommend the two I just mentioned. I like Tito's for vodka, although James Bond would disapprove of an American vodka, so if you really need to be more like Bond, just pick any Russian or Polish vodka. Smirnoff is the sponsored 007 vodka in a lot of the movies, including Dr. No, so there you go. 
Obviously, you're going to be shaking this drink, obviously, and pour it into a chilled martini glass. And with any James Bond martini, one should always add a lemon rind, never an olive. You can get the heck out of here with that jar of olives. Why do you even bring that in the first place? If that somehow isn't enough themed drink options for you, well, I'll let you in on that James Bond also drinks a gin and tonic in the book, Dr. No. Actually, he has four doubles. I'm talking about the equivalent of eight standard gin and tonics in one night while he's working, which I don't necessarily recommend, but he gets the job done, so maybe he was onto something. And finally, Bond finishes the novel by drinking a couple bourbons on ice, so if you're a whiskey guy who's also a Bond fan, those two interests don't have to be exclusive. Basically, if there's alcohol present, James Bond, by way of Ian Fleming, would probably approve. And that is a wrap on my reasons to monologue, so thank you so much for listening, and now, our conversation on Dr. No. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Bond Diaries. I'm Will Daniel. And I'm Will Schlick. And joining us today is special guest Max Wilcox of the New York Theater. Of, yep, of all of it. Yeah. Um, don't let them tell you otherwise. If you see a show, you'll experience him, him somehow. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, you'll yeah. experience him right now on this podcast. Yes, this is the closest you'll get to live theater anyway. And therefore, yes, I am, I am spiritually all of theater. Uh, so this is a show where we're going to talk about uh, every James Bond movie and I guess other James Bond things. Yeah, we'll probably... I think it's really, I think it's, honestly it's brave. It's very brave of the two of you to decide um, a casual six months uh, into quarantine <laughs> this was the time to start a podcast. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, I think you're some of the first that I've heard of um, this whole... How do you? How, so when I send it out to people on my MySpace podcast, yeah. is, that, is it two words? Yeah, it's a podcast. That's they call it. Yeah, if it's oh. a reference to fishing. But oh, oh right, the, sure, because you're you're sending it out. Tribe Called Quest once people. said, "We in this case, we maraud for ears." Oh, that's that's interesting. Oh. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm really glad. I'm glad I'm gonna have something to listen to other than my AM FM. Um, it's been a real, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's really just been NPR and weather. Yeah, look, it was either this or make sourdough bread, so it, look, it had uh, to be something. Jack, FM. wait, can I tell you that I did try to make sourdough bread and I failed so miserably <laughs> that I I felt so miserably that like it's as if it like it came alive in the worst possible ways. That sounds awful. That just sounds yeah. Every day it was every day it was waking up and it was like it was it was like having like a festering wound on your body where every day I would wake up and I would walk over to the jar and you open the jar and every day it would just be like I don't think that's how that's supposed to smell. Yeah, <laughs> like it was a it was a fun game of of I don't think that's how this is supposed to smell, but no one has told me otherwise. Yeah. Well, now you're moving on to podcasting, and then once you do the 50 day push up challenge, you're gonna hit the quarantine trifecta. Are you are you still in Florida right now? No, no, I'm back in New York. I've I've been in New York for for a minute here. Um, yeah. I actually, funnily enough, I I flew, I flew down to Florida the day that they that New York announced uh, that they were um, sort of shutting everything down, like March twenty second or whatever the date was. Yeah. Um, and I flew back to New York the day that Florida did the same. I've I've sort of. I've skipped out on both sort of uh, quarantines there. Yeah. Well, boy, man, if only you'd be in Florida right now, everything's wide open. You can go out and go to a packed bar. You can go to a Dolphins game next week. 
You'd be living a uh, life. That's true. I would arguably, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, a Dolphins game is its own special kind of quarantine, isn't it? <laughs> Where I don't think that anyone, I think that most Dolphins fans were like, oh, I have to, I have to be away from people and have no one within six feet of me and no one will be interesting. Like, that sounds like a Dolphins game to me. Yeah. Dol- yeah, it just sounds horrible. I, the only thing that sounds worse is being a Jets fan. I think that's the worst. The, yeah, peek behind the curtain. We're recording on, on uh, Sunday, and the, the Jets just lost 31-7, to if I'm not mistaken, uh, to a very, a very mediocre Colts team. Yeah, that's right. That's your team. Um, Sam Darnold threw three interceptions. Um, and this is the most sport that we'll, I think, talk about uh on on any form of of this podcast but i've guess what i've just made what we call the biz a transition because i referred to it as sport oh interesting which is something they do in great britain a place where they make movies about uh a harry potter uh, about a magical wizard yeah um they made yeah they make two types of films uh child wizards and and just sort of like adults whose jobs seemingly is to uh, sort of sleep their way through every nation. Yeah, yeah. adults, sex-crazed, adult, white, uh, imperial men. Yeah. Oh, and Downton Abbey. Yeah, okay. With cousin. Which, like, I guess falls in between the two sort of subsets. Yeah, there's a little bit of – there's a little bit of bonking and a little bit of boy wizards in that, too, so – yeah, well, it depends on if you're part of the upstairs or the downstairs. Yeah, that's true. Why don't you each uh, say a tiny bit about what is your history with uh, the James Bond franchise, the character? Uh, Max, you want to you go first? Uh, yeah, sure. I uh, The first time I started watching Bond movies was uh, as a kid on... Uh, Spike TV when they would do their uh, they they did like a yearly Bond sort of weekend or week where they would they would exclusively play Bond films. Um, I remember, and I I believe that that was my first time ever seeing one was as a, a young young kid when they were doing that. Do you remember which one? Um, no, it's I I would I would have to say that it's going to be either Thunderball or Goldfinger because I've I have a feeling that those were just played most often. Yeah, um, and on and probably in like prime slots. Like I wasn't up at at like two in the morning whenever they were showing. Diamonds yeah, that's the, that's what they call diamonds <laughs> yeah. are forever country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that, I think that's my that was my sort of earliest Bond related experience. Yeah, um, mine's you know pretty similar. Grew up watching them with my family. I, I think I probably watched my first one around four or five with my uncle. I remember. I have very distinct memories of uh, my brother and I sitting around a little uh, plastic table pretending that we have uh, cigarettes in our mouth. We put little crowns in our mouth and we pretend we're gambling like Bond in uh, Dr. No. So that's a really fun childhood memory of mine. Uh, I think the first one I really remember watching all the way through was Live and Let Die. And uh, mm. I, I remember just right off the bat after seeing that movie, I was just like, whatever that is, I, I want more of that. Um, and, uh, it's been just a lot of, you know, I grew up playing Goldeneye, the video game. I Goldeneye was the first one I saw in theaters. I think I've seen every single one in theaters on opening day or opening weekend since then. Um, I, uh, 
Christmas Day 97, I uh, went with uh, a lot of my family, saw Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, kind of liked it. I think I knew it was part of the bigger thing, mostly forgot about it. And then about a year later, later um, a friend showed me Goldeneye on VHS, and we played the, the N64 game also. And uh, I was pretty hooked at that point. Uh, made my dad rent it like a week later as we could watch it again. Uh, bought the the video game uh never had an n64 would would go to friends houses and bring it a couple times i think i borrowed uh consoles there's some generous friends who let me do that for a weekend to just have golden eye um and yeah at that point like eight or nine just uh, uh yeah also doing the the marathons i think tbs the superstation uh, did it? I remember that before Spike TV. Yeah, that uh, that was before they became funny. Yeah, so I I remember renting, uh, renting a lot, and then like I I think one Christmas or birthday I like asked my parents, uh, for for blank VHS tapes because I knew that I was just gonna like hit try to hit all the Bond movies when they were on TV. But it was at that point that you remembered that your parents didn't own a VHS. They just owned many, <laughs> they owned many, like, oh, many VHSs, but they didn't own a VCR. Yeah, he just uh, he just borrowed a friend's for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we were they a software would just go over family. to people's houses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You guys, you you owned a library card, and and you each owned like a um a uh, not book report. What was I looking for? A uh, page saver wow this is gonna be a joke but now the joke is that i can't remember the name <laughs> of a thing that you put inside of books uh oh a bookmark i think bookmark it's called yeah now apparently I, see i'm going for the name brand page saver <laughs> uh much much like how tupperware uh, as has become ubiquitous with the the brand uh, uh have you not heard of the page saver uh no i haven't that's because i don't know how to read um, um. Well, it's a good thing this is an audio format. Yeah, <laughs> I, I only listen to books on tape. Yeah, <laughs> and this. The, yes, and and this. Uh, either of you remember watching this movie, Doctor No, for the first time? Mm. The very first time, I I, I don't remember. Uh, I was probably in my dad's house. I was probably sitting on the floor, maybe four and a half feet from the the TV screen yeah. with all the lights off. Um, and I think that the, the thing that stood out to me, uh, the only things I truly remember from the first time seeing it have to be uh, the tarantula. Yeah. Uh, the fire breathing dragon. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and that one girl who takes photographs and, and like just is sort of oh, left yeah. behind I, even as a kid, I was very, I guess I was very plot aware because the big things were to me, the cool, cool fire breather, the terrifying spider, and hey, this character seems like she was sort of written off. Yeah, there's a, a story with her that I will tell in a bit. I, I, yeah, I think I rented this somewhere in the middle of my, my early Bond days. I uh, watched it with my cousin. I think I kind of liked it. I was a little bored. It was usually not one of the movies that I'd like look forward to watching so much. Like I mostly watched it a few times in like middle school and high school when I just like when I just gotten the DVDs and I was like, I'm going to watch everyone in order over a few weeks or whatever it took. Um, but I think it's it's grown on me over the years. It definitely gets gets better for me. 
I, I feel the same way. I remember, I you know, kind of why I can't really remember the first time I watched it. Like I said, I I have very very distinct childhood memories of reenacting certain scenes from it, like the Bond's introduction scene in the casino. And but it doesn't it wasn't one that I really went to a lot as a kid. I would say I really fell in love with it in my twenties as an adult, um, and it it's grown on me too to the point where. I won't say where I'd probably officially rank it in my Bond movies yet, but it's it's high up there. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, we we have to have uh, you know we can't lay all our cards on the table yet. We got we're gonna have some big surprises and ahead for you know Bond rankings and uh, yeah. I think I'm gonna have some great uh, clickbait titles. You know, you won't believe what number eleven is. <laughs> Quantum of Solace is just my top five. If 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 seen time after time, after that time, was like the uh, click hole quiz that was. Can you teach Daniel Craig about sex? And it was <laughs> it it just built him as like Daniel Craig, star of the Quantum of Solace films. <laughs> uh, it's Ian Fleming, born in nineteen oh eight. He's a naval intelligence officer uh, during World War Two. Um, he's part of the Allied mission to uh, spy on Francoist uh, Spain make sure they don't uh, team up with the Axis powers. The uh, name of that operation, Operation Goldeneye, uh, which he takes, names his uh, house in Jamaica after. Uh, then he writes uh, Casino Royale. Uh, he writes that in 1952. Uh, he can't think of a name of the hero. Uh, he's got a book on his desk that's called um, Birds of the West Indies, and it's written by Mr. James Bond. He's like, that's pretty good. I'll take that. And, and and from then on, the character's name was Birds of the West. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, After several editors turned the book down, he changed the name. To what we all know and love now, Jimmy, Jimmy Bond. Jim, Jimmy, uh, so Jimmy that's, Bond. So that's next up I have here. Um, the, the book comes out in 53. Uh, it's pretty successful. It gets pretty good reviews. Um, his... A lot of the the cool cats at the time, his his writer buddies like Raymond Chandler, um, praise it as great. Say he's you know really witty, uh, fantastic author. And then the more conservative publications, uh, you know, say this is smutty trash basically. Yeah. Uh, and um, CBS buys the the rights to Casino Royale. They make a TV movie in 1954 with, as you say, the Americanized Jimmy Bond, yeah, uh, Jimmy, played by Jimmy uh, Bond. Baron. Pulled that from uh, <laughs> no one really watches that um so th- nothing really happens with the the books for a couple years although they continue to be popular um albert r broccoli uh, is making movies uh with his uh producing partner irving allen uh warwick films is their company uh they're making pretty successful kind of b movies uh for columbia um they're making a lot of them with like imported stars like i think it was yeah, Alan Ladd, Olivia de Havilland making movies with them. Uh, Terrence Young, who we're going to talk about in a second, uh, is directing for them a bunch. Cubby Broccoli, that's his nickname, uh, really likes the Bond novels. Uh, he wants to make them into movies. He sets up a meeting with Ian Fleming and his partner, Irving Allen. And uh, they go to this club in London. And Irving Allen uh, does not behave himself. I have to assume he was drunk or something. So he tells Ian Fleming, your books aren't good enough for TV. So that kind of <laughs> keeps uh, Broccoli out of the, the Bond franchise for a few years. Uh, in the meantime, Harry Saltzman, uh, a couple years later, uh, who's been a theater producer, um, options the Bond novels. He spends 
uh, 50 grand. He gets them for six months. Uh, at the end of that, he's not been able to do anything. Uh, he gets hooked up with Broccoli. They make a deal. Um, they form uh, two companies, including Eon, which is going to uh, produce the movies. They hire Ian Fleming. Uh, he and Kevin McClory uh, start writing Thunderball, which is going to be uh, the first novel. And uh, David... The first movie. You mean. Which is going to be the first film, yeah. David Picker at United Artists is looking at it and I guess sees that there's a lot of underwater stuff, which was super expensive there. And... Uh, puts pressure on to do Dr. No instead, because that's going to be uh, a much cheaper uh, shoot. Yeah, Dr. No is like, he's like, can you get a coconut? Like, you're good. Like, that's yeah. A... But yeah, so they look at um, Cary Grant for, for Bond. Uh, he was the, actually the best man at uh, Broccoli's wedding. He's, he's a buddy of theirs. Uh, but they know that they can only get him for, for one movie. Uh, so they talk about other people. Roger Moore is apparently Ian Fleming's favorite. Uh, I guess he sort of embodies the the gentleman part of Bond, although it's it's harder, I think, to see him as the Bond, the the killer. Uh, but he's contracted to uh, doing the the Saint on TV. Um, so uh, Lana Turner had actually introduced uh, Broccoli to Connery uh, like some years before, and so uh, Broccoli remembers him, uh, takes his wife to this Disney movie called. Darby O'Gill and the Little People, starring Sean Connery. It's it's like very progressive of them, <laughs> that uh, title at the time. Yeah, the first title, Darby O'Gill and the Midgets. <laughs> <laughs> Asks his wife, uh, how do you like this guy? Uh, obviously, uh, she liked him. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Uh, Ian Fleming, I guess, is like appalled at first, thinks he's way too street. Uh, and like Terrence Young... Uh, really tries to uh, to groom Connery, give him style. Terrence Young, like Ian Fleming, really sees himself as James Bond, I think, uh, and I think contributes a lot to kind of the style of, of the Bond movies and the style of Bond, uh, the character. Connery also, at this point, uh, it's, I know I'm saying something that we know, but that I think needs to be said out loud, is 33 uh, at, the, at the time of this movie and is the it's everything that you want sean connery to be and none of the things that sean connery became yeah this that's this is peak i think he's he's like 31 or 32 i think as as they're shooting it this is is peak peak connery yeah this this is um you're sort of like you're you're picking the connery off the vine at the exact time that it should be picked that's that's one of the things i wanted to say is is he he has such an energy in this movie and he's like really playful like he comes in and and like grabs money penny and he's like singing and stuff and and uh it's it's everything that yeah as you say he's not even a couple years later i think uh coming back after thunderball with the only lift twice he's just he's pretty bored in that he's he's totally checked out and in diamonds are forever uh but i think yeah, that one question I wanted to pose, do you think this is the best debut performance of a James Bond? Because it's right up there for me. Uh, I I would say yes, I think it is. I think to the to to come out and not have anything to go off of too. I mean yeah. Connery, all he has is some you know, obviously he has the novels, he's got he had some some kind of gentleman training from Terrence Young. He really has nothing to go off of. He he really has to create the Bond persona for film. So I think on that basis alone, it's by far the best debut performance of any Bond. Yeah. Yeah, it sort of just has to be. I, I'm Daniel Craig, I always think, is, is going to be an 
an exceptional one, but his challenge was the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, yeah. All, all, yeah. all bonds have come in and had to quote unquote establish themselves. Whereas uh, uh, Connery had the double duty of, of, of not even just, you know, setting up this character was setting up the entire concept of this sort of franchise. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then you, you, Daniel Craig, comes in and they they have to quote unquote reinvent which is uh, I, which i think is fantastic and i think that he did as good a job and, and honestly i think that if if you take him back in time he i uh, could have done as just as good a job at this but the the point remains that uh connery shows up on screen and you as an audience member especially if you've never read the book done anything other than seeing the cover of the book you are the only thing you know of this quote unquote Mr. Bond is the thing you're seeing on screen and it's um it's absolutely magical um what he sort of is able to do with with honestly not a lot. Yeah. He 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 really spins sort of spins gold out of a lot of the stuff that he's sort of been sort of just handed over. Well that's that's a point I, I was just thinking is that uh it's like it's almost like there's not enough in in Doctor No for someone who's more of an actor like Timothy Dalton or Daniel Craig to, to play. Like uh, they're almost like too good to do this. If it's, it's not, if they don't get to play, you know, that intensive a character or whatever, whereas Sean Connery can just be the coolest guy. He can just be James Bond and, and you get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you talk about the true architects of, I think everybody would agree the Bond books and the Bond movies have diverged a lot. You know, they're they're not really similar, that too similar in tone. They draw from each other, uh, you know, the movies draw from the books a little bit. But when you talk about the architects of the Bond m- movies, I, he's got to be on your Mount Rushmore. Yeah. The guys that really, I mean, I think it's him, Cubby Broccoli. Apparently uh, Terrence Young really had a lot Young, of, yeah. of input in the, the first couple of movies. Yeah. But I mean, he is, a, I, Connery is one of the true, he really helps build Bond the film franchise. With that performance alone, Ian Fleming's pretty pretty involved in in this production. Um, he recommends his uh, friend Noel Coward to play uh, Doctor No. Uh, Noel Coward responds, "Doctor No, 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 no." That that was. Uh, I have to assume he was really wasted when he said that because <laughs> you one thinks of Noel Coward as being more clever than that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Joseph Wiseman gets that role. Uh, they put him to make him look kind of Asian, still and kind of really German. <laughs> yeah, really, uh, still just comes off uh, about as Asian as a, a McDonald's uh, Szechuan sauce packet. <laughs> a lot of it has to, so so obviously a lot has to do with the the time period, and obviously we'll we'll sort of go beat by beat, um, or or sort of like start at the beginning. But I will say that and the. <laughs> Uh, watching it now and watch tr- trying to watch it because uh, I I just rewatched it and trying to watch it with an even more critical eye. In it is, it is laughable in in a way that that you can really only sort of uh, like tut and 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 pat the movie on the head. Uh, how often and and how and with with what giddiness they say like all right and here's a jamaican person and they're not gonna have an accent and they're not gonna be terribly uh dark-skinned and here's a chinese person and it's definitely just a white woman and here's a a chinese guy and he's definitely gonna uh, dress you in japanese attire um (laughs) and 
and and and he's also definitely going to lean real hard into the fact that he's German because the actor's smart enough to be like, yeah, and I was you know raised by Chinese and German parents, and uh, the whole movie does a whole lot of of. I, let me put it this way: there's a reason why the, the opening scene is is um it's the three blind mice. Yeah, it's it's three, three yeah. blind uh uh making guys walking down, and that they show you as well as they can establish, they establish as much as they can without doing any acting um, where you are and that it is foreign and then do immediately cut to a country club and four white men playing B knuckle. Yeah. Um, after and, after uh, they walk by one of the best hats of all time, I think in, in the opening shot. Yeah. I, I was taken by that hat. That was the, Oh, the, the hat game is, is uh, well, actually a lot of the clothing oh. game is strong throughout. Oh yeah, well, there's Connery's. Um, he he always had the like promotional stills with like a fedora or something like that. Uh, I think this this and from Russia uh, are the two main movies where he's actually wearing a hat a lot and uh, looks pretty fucking good in a hat. Like looking looking back in that car when uh, yeah, especially all the stuff in the driving. UK. Yeah, yeah, he he loses it relatively quick when it gets hot, but when he's back, yeah. when he when he's talking to M, when he when he's uh, going back to his house, like it is all the hat game is strong. Yeah, oh, yeah, I like to think Terrence Young or Cubby Broccoli at a certain point. It's like, all right, we're shooting again, Sean. Get your hat on. He's just like, no. <laughs> a little more on on the cast. Uh, Anthony Dawson uh, plays the kind of hench person, Professor Dent. Uh, he comes back for the next two Terrence Young movies, uh, plays Blofeld in From Russia With Love and Thunderball when you don't see his face. Lois Maxwell, they they offered her... Um, actually, I think she went to theater school or something with, uh, with Roger Moore. Like, they kind of grew up knowing each other. Um, but they, they offer her uh, Sylvia Trench and say you can, like, play... They, they, I think, literally build it as you can be the glamour girl or the office girl and uh and i think she said you know it it wasn't the idea of like i could have more movies it was just like oh i don't i don't like being shot like if i'm like just wearing uh bond's pajama tops in his uh in his apartment like that's a little too scandalous uh so she takes money penny gets uh 14 movies out of it i just i love money penny so much yeah, she's she's so great in that role. Um, like it's it's, uh, and they they, it, it gets flushed out more later on down through the films, but it's just like that is uh, such an anchor. Yeah, um, yeah. characterized and emotional, and and you you pointed out really really succinctly that in this uh, movie in particular, when Bond comes in and you, you do assume that he's going to hit on her and he does, but it's, it's the beauty of, she's the only female character in the entire film that doesn't get a just manhandled and tossed off the scene yeah, or, um, essentially the, the, uh, every, every no is just a yes in disguise yeah. into his bed. Well, and, um, and she, I think she's the only woman that is able to, to stand up to him. I think, uh, nice thing about her is like I, I i guess i never thought that like she really wanted it from from bond like it's almost it's a like game they they play at work kind of like i i found that to be like a, a betrayal of her character in in die another day where 
she like ends up in like a VR thing where she's just going at it with Bond. And I was like, does she really want that though? Especially when they get into the modern movies and you have her like going out with dudes and stuff. And it's like, well, good, good for her. Like she shouldn't, her life shouldn't be pining after James Bond. Yeah. I, I think I always kind of read it as like, she kind of understands a, it's, it's not realistic. Nor would even be something that she wants. Like, I don't think she wants to date an internationally traveling yeah. swashbuckling secret. <laughs> like, I don't think she craves that at all. I think that's the fun of it. It's like, yeah, she's just as immune to it. It's like he kind of is. Yeah, I view it as her essentially, um, not to overstate it, but her her sort of defense mechanism. Yeah, I I always like to think since he is double O seven, and there there are other double O's. I like to think that since she is the essentially the gatekeeper, uh, that is the only thing that keeps the 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 heart of M of MI six from these sort of like weird out there like if bond is 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 a, a relatively successful one we can only imagine how crappy a lot of the other double o's are in this movie he says that uh double o deaths are down 40 percent oh yeah, the yeah. Fact that there can only <laughs> one there can only be nine of them because there's only one through nine until you suddenly get into o ten. so <laughs> The fact that enough of them have died that you have a percentage is yeah. horrifying. Yeah, what what was going on at MI6 pre-M? Exactly. The there? fact that he strolls in and, and instead of trying to balance the budget or try to, to solve sort of the Cold War, he's like, well, too many double O's have died. And the, the my storage closet is getting full of all these double O bodies. So, so money, Penny, make sure that he's a good boy outside while I get some paperwork done. You don't think there's a double O12? I mean, I numerically no. Well, yeah, that would also suck, especially if you're double O ten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they, come they, on, they basically you, they basically confirm in Thunderball that there's nine of them. I mean, I would also I'd also oh, like yeah. to think that I'd, I'd like to think that there was a double O ten, and then he went on a killing spree, and he's the reason there is a forty percent because he killed like three through seven, <laughs> and he he came in and he's like, all right, give me give me one of those good numbers. Yeah, he just wanted a different number. Exactly, because he had, or he tried to reband, where he's like, "I'm o o one o, I'm I'm binary, baby." <laughs> M's, like I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so so this movie starts with the killing of. It's not a double O, but it is a, an MI six agent in Jamaica. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, they they I mean, never refer to him with a number, so I think, it's, I think he's just Strangways there. is like a station chief, right? Yeah, yeah, he's just title? there. Um, he's the guy uh, who who just looks out for yeah. for stuff in Jamaica. Yeah, they, they in the book they talk about his job's pretty boring. Nothing happens in Jamaica. Yeah, uh, he kind of accidentally stumbles on Doctor No. He doesn't seem to like know he's really onto something, and he just finds out too much about Doctor No and and gets killed. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the book they talk about, they they just assume that he's um, uh, that he's run off with his secretary, and and Bond's just like, great, like I gotta go, like find this guy who's like ditched his job. Uh, actually, the the woman who's his secretary in the movie is in the movie because she owned that house that she gets shot in. So, yeah, yeah, not not a professional actress there. She's the one with the borderline orange blood. It's very yeah, distressing. Yeah, it's, it's some, some paint red uh, blood, <laughs> definitely. 
Yeah, my favorite part in that in that house is when she uh, pulls down the fake <laughs> the fakest books. looking yeah so there's books panel of, of books and it's it's not of course it isn't the top shelf or the middle shelf it is just the bottom yeah high level shelf where she walks over and and just pulls it down and like you have to you have to thank God that MI6 wasn't running like the Underground Railroad or <laughs> that they. That they were like, that if this is the comical, amazing sort of uh, way that they've they've sort of uh, run a spy agency, it's no wonder that um, this film takes place then, and that like the Cold War extended until 1990. Yeah. If this is the sort of just, like fun madcap way that they're having their spycraft, I love too that they didn't have locks on the file cabinet. Like, yeah, all yeah. file he, cabinets he just have <laughs> this like can't be locked. Like he just reaches in. I have so many questions about the file cabinet too. Why was there two separate files for Crab Key and Dr. No? I feel like you could have combined that into one file. It does feel like one file. It does feel like one and file. Why does he hold them at that suspiciously good for the camera uh, angle when he's pulling them out? He's, it's so well, I want to know. About. I want to know why there were roughly four files in the entire cabinet. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, I get that. That it, Sure, this is sort of like a, an easy post, but you feel like you'd you know, every couple of days you'd throw something in there just like for fun, like maybe make something up or like you, you cause you have to, tr you have to, you gotta pay you. So you have to sort of make sure that, that it, it appears as if you're doing a job. Well, I think the first one he pulled out just said takeout menus from local restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, and Dr. Yeah. No and Crab Key. Here on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they both get killed um yep. by these these blind men <laughs> you know something i watched this movie for like the the dozenth uh time or so this week and i don't think those guys are really blind <laughs> i think they were I'm gonna, to, I'm gonna go i mean you know what i'm gonna go out on the limb and i i watched pretty closely I, I froze it i went frame by frame the moment that i really thought to myself maybe these guys aren't blind is when a car with yeah. with its brights on <laughs> comes by, they, they and really, one of yeah. them ducks, and the other one blocks his eyes. <laughs> which to me was a telltale sign that maybe these guys aren't blind. I also have another question. When I was rewatching it recently, uh, one of the guys looks suspiciously like uh, Pussfeller, the bar owner. Oh yeah, is it the same guy <laughs> that they just cast in two different roles? It could, I mean, we know that they did shit like that. Usually from, from movie to movie. I can't think of one where they have the same guy in, in the two movie. Yeah. Uh, playing two roles in, in one movie. That's like, yeah, well, I mean, they had, they had Mike Myers play all the roles in that one James Bond movie. Yeah. Oh, Love was, Guru? Yeah, Love <laughs> yeah. Guru. <laughs> um, the, the photographer you mentioned before, uh, that actress was uh, Marguerite uh, Lewis- she was not a photographer. She was uh, the reigning uh, Miss Jamaica, the beauty uh, pageant winner. Uh, and her day job was flight attendant. Um, Terrence Young, the director, uh, walks on board one day and uh, notices her and is like, hey, you want to be in a movie? And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, sure, man. Like, just give me your ticket. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm serious. He says, uh, I'm making a, a series of films that's going to be the most popular series of films ever. <laughs> Terrence Young, kind of a cocky guy. And uh, I, at that point, I guess he was confident enough. She was like, yeah, sure. Uh, and so she, she comes in. They want her to play uh, Miss Tarot, the kind of uh, office femme fatale. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And she's not down to, uh, kind of like Lois Maxwell. Um, she reads the script and she's like, I'm going to be 
wearing a towel, kissing a strange man on a bed. Like my parents are going to watch this shit. Like that, I can't do that. So they give her uh, Annabelle Chung, a Chinese photographer. Uh, I I cool. think they give her cool, kind cool, of cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I think they give her kind of a- Asian clothing, but not. Uh, she's I don't think they like make her up at all to to look Asian, yes. Un- unlike uh, <laughs> some of the other characters like uh, Zena Marshall, who ends up playing Miss Tarot. Just a, a real, just real rough. So so Bond, Bond gets to Jamaica. He's he immediately is assaulted, uh, leaving the airport. Does some of his cool jujitsu, which <laughs> oh, we yeah. get to see, because um, we have to make we do have to make sure that this is a badass. He can't just be sexy. They do. I will say, like I'm joking, but but truly, Terrence Young does an excellent job of setting up that like he, this guy clearly gets it. Um, yeah, and we do get to see uh, we see Felix for the first time. So the the actress I just mentioned who played the photographer, uh, her brother is actually an actor, uh, Reggie Carter, and he plays the uh, chauffeur, Mister Mister Jones. Wow, that was a real family affair down there. I that, sure was. <laughs> they were all just trying to kill Bond. They were yeah. all unified in their hatred of the Brits. For, uh, I I spent a lot of this time uh, imagining what this movie would be like if I was a guy uh, who, at the time that the movie came out, treated it the way that a lot of people did movies at the time. I.e., I just sort of wandered in five minutes late. Yeah. Um. And I like you, you mean I, people nowadays at the Landmark Theater. That's a that's a very exceptionally valid point. <laughs> plug. Um. And the I like I like to imagine that that the vast majority of these shots that are that are Jamaica by the way, just look exactly like Cuba. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you get to this bar that is owned by a, a Jamaican guy. Uh, by the way, the, the back room of, of which is just littered with roughly 200 empty boxes for beer battles <laughs> yeah. uh, that James Bond gets pushed into. But like that guy, not Jamaican looking. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then you have this 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 Chinese photographer who does look sort of Jamaican, uh, and then we're introduced to the boat captain that's going to be Bond's yeah. sort of go to guy. Um, who who hey, you did great. He looks like he's going to be cool in Jamaican. Um, man, did you cast a dude who just speaks with the oddest cadence yeah. that I have just ever experienced, and well, you immediately it, immediately have him uh, scarred for life on his face, <laughs> and then never reference it again, yeah. and show and show his big, beautiful, uncut face constantly for the rest of the movie. Yeah, she gets him with the the broken yeah, flashbulb or something. She literally yeah, she rubs broken shattered glass across his face and he's like fine with it yeah yeah he puts his hand up to his cheek looks at the blood and laughs and then turns to james and says what do you want to do with her yeah (laughs) which is like the fact that bond didn't turn to him immediately and say all right i'm not sure but i think you're the villain yeah (laughs) i i haven't seen the turn yet but you have to be the one that i'm sent here for I also thought it was a very brave choice to just have him carry a gigantic jug of rum around for many scenes in the movie. <laughs> yeah, when, when they're working, when they're hiding from the bad guys on Crab Key. <laughs> he's, just, he's just absolutely just throwing back rum. We, we get some great, like, uh, Looney Tunes scoring there also. Is he's, he's drinking at night, and it's just like a classic. <laughs> Here's my drunk sidekick. <laughs> Yeah, they do show they get down to the boat and like Felix and Bond are, are trying to get over to Crab Key and and they show Felix and Bond doing 
very useless busy work yeah um but but and then they do they cut over to to him what what is that character's name uh, coral um coral yeah they 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 cut to coral just with as if it was as if it was a jug with three x's on it and he had it over his his elbow he's just downing as this cia agent and this this british fop are like saying to themselves that they can steer the boat <laughs> it's I, it was a brave choice i think to, <laughs> to play it that way but i think uh i i, I like quarrel I, I think uh the the actor kind of has some some charm that that shines through in in this character i think the like his lines in the script are, are kind of a result of the kind of like terrible speech he has in the book which is just racist ian fleming who like fucking has a vacation house in jamaica and should know what native jamaicans sound like but writes them this way for some reason <laughs> yeah there's a lot of questions i have about coral the character i'm just gonna keep yeah. bringing that up a lot of choices were made i i haven't read the book but it sounds like it's not much better than uh monty norman uh he's like a big um theatrical composer in london at the time Harry Saltzman um, said, do you want to score the movie? He's like, oh, maybe. Like, I'm kind of busy. I might do it. And uh, he just says, you know, we're shooting in Jamaica. Like, you can come work on it here for a few weeks and bring your wife. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, he wrote a musical a few years earlier called A House for Mr. Bizwas. Uh, Ooh, that sounds, some some that wonderful sounds a, little, a little bit like Don Quell and the Little People or whatever the hell. That yeah, called. <laughs> I'm sure it's a, a very uh, tasteful uh, piece where a white guy is playing an Indian guy and and singing uh, about how his like sneeze is so powerful. Yeah, uh, and that those are the lyrics that uh, have that that melody that da 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 da. da. Uh, so that and then the ba dum ba da 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 are um, come from a song in his musical. Uh, and that's kind of what he brings to the theme. He's just like, I want to do this. And the producers are like, you can't just do that. And they bring in John Barry, uh, who with his orchestra kind of arranges it uh, in kind of a big band uh, feel. Um, it's his idea to have uh, Vic Flick playing uh, the like acoustic surf guitar. Um, and and he adds all the like the kind of horn hits, the bottom bum. So it's really, it's kind of unfair that Monty Norman forever gets credit for the James Bond theme because it's like John Barry's uh, entirely more responsible for, for the sound of, of James Bond. And then he comes back and, and does uh, way better scores for uh, most of the other uh, original movies. Um, yeah, I think I think Dr. No is, is probably maybe my least favorite Bond movie just from the, the score perspective Monty Norman's uh, score is, is pretty clumsy and you get to moments like hitting the, the tarantula where it's just the, the textbook, you know, what they call Mickey Mouse scoring of a hit for, for a hit. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a particularly egregious scene. <laughs> that's the, the Mickey Mouse spider slapping. Yeah. That really takes you out of that scene completely. I do. There, there's parts of the I like some of the scoring okay. I actually like they were they're relying a lot on the the music that was just being uh played in Jamaica at the time like it, the the jump up they play a bunch and then 
I have to assume underneath the mango tree was written for the movie because they play it so many times. That's I like stuff like that. I think it's Byron Lee and the Dragonairs was the name of the band or whatever uh-huh. that plays like Jump Up, and I think you know they they play some version of underneath the mango tree for the score. Some of that I'm kind of into. <laughs> yeah, it, there, there's elements of it I like. I wouldn't say it's my least favorite Bond score. I, I just wish Bond sang more in the other ones. Me too. Yeah, um, it'd be nice if if one of the the songs or whatever song is in every movie he gets to sing a verse from, like, yeah. like Mango Tree here. Yeah, uh, All Time High and Octopussy would have been awesome. <laughs> and He's not like, not prompted by another character singing it, just James Bond in the scene is, yeah. you know, all I wanted was a sweet distraction for an hour or two. <laughs> what was that, James? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> If anyone, if any Bond would sing their own scores to themselves, like yeah. in their car when they think no one's listening, it's Roger Moore. Well, that, would... that would be the, the flea bag moment where, like, finally a woman, like, realizes that he's singing the theme song. It's like, what are you singing there when you sing to yourself? He's like, nothing. How can she hear? <laughs> We've mentioned loosely the tarantula. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. What... <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's okay let's, let's set it up because there, there's a couple of cool things right um uh dent is the one that tra- that uh that uh, uh, apparently lets it loose uh on, on bond and dent uh this is our first quote-unquote meeting of dr no yeah uh is that dent goes to uh the island he goes into this room that looks like i, I like i don't know like a a, a swedish prison well, something that's really cool is I I, I read that online uh, that I read online that the entire uh, budget for that room and for that whole scene was seven hundred and fifty dollars. Like that's it. Oh yeah. Um, which is astounding. It's yeah. amazing. The the whole film was actually made on a shoestring budget. It was made for for about about a mil. Yeah. And halfway through filming, they asked for another hundred thousand and got it. Um, but that that room in in particular because they had spent so much on a lot of the other other underwater stuff and it's this big scene where where you do you have to feel the presence of Doctor No and you have to feel the fear. It's just an empty room, yeah, that's slightly triangular that has like a wishing well in the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I love it. And that's that's the first scene where uh, where we see any of, of Ken, uh, Ken Adams um, architecture and his, his production design. And he, you know, designs a lot of these movies. Uh, and I think with this movie, with the next few movies, he's like partially responsible for like modern architecture and, and how architecture kind of slid into like the seventies, what a lot of actual houses started looking like. Um, and just that scene where he walks in and, and gets the spider from him and we just hear this voice. I think that's really the first scene where, you know, like, oh, this isn't quite the world that I live in. Like the James Bond universe is a little more like it's a little it, there's kind of there's sci fi sets in this movie, basically, like the the end, you know, control room stuff and, and this like chamber here. Yeah. Yeah, the control. Uh, remind me because I'll I want to go back to the control room because it has possibly my favorite mechanical effect. Yeah, just ever. Um, but yeah, so so we're we're all. Let's not be cheap. Uh, tarantulas aren't poisonous. You know it. I know it. We all know it. They <laughs> they knew it. Let's let's give well, this the benefit of the doubt and say that they never said what type of spider it was and that this is a fun magical <laughs> fantasy world. Yeah. Um, where Bond knew that this was the Bora Bora spider that was just going to kill him if he didn't 
stay perfectly still, uh, sweat out about a gallon of man juice, <laughs> and then throw a shoe at it on the floor. <laughs> uh, to scoring as well. Yeah. Rhythmic yeah scoring. Rhythmic okay. Scoring. Do, do you know in in the book what they what animal tries to kill him? Yeah, it's a centipede, which is cooler. Yeah, it's oh, it's way cooler. I think they just didn't couldn't find a good centipede also, wrangler, probably for the movie. <laughs> well, you'd think like get a weird looking centipede, like paint it a little so it looks more exotic. So you you know paint it like a snake that kills you. So you'll be like, oh yeah, that's a poisonous one. Yeah, I bet that's it. I bet it literally better. came down to like who, what sort of animal wrangler can we find? Like I, I bet it was probably yeah. just spider wrangling i'm sure well, it was really easy to find and they just got some guy that had a spider and they're like fuck yeah look at this thing look what's, this what's weird thing. also is that um honey rider later in the movie says that she killed a guy with a black widow and bond looks at her like a black widow i think you're supposed to think that it's a black widow in his bed because of that scene and it's obviously not yeah yeah People at this point were still pretty fucking dumb. Yeah, I, I don't know. Part, like, if you're watching this in 1962, I, you know, probably don't know that tarantulas yeah. aren't, I mean, aren't poisonous. I know. You're just like, oh, I hate spiders. Maybe that's a poisonous tarantula. We know this was pre-zoo books. So how much about animals <laughs> could these people really know? Also, let's be fair. When we were kids, a lot of, a lot of kids told other kids that um, daddy long legs were the most poisonous spiders in the world, but their teeth were too small to bite people. Yeah, that's so, true. That was very pervasive. So that was that, that was until like, right now. That was two thousand. Yeah. that we were doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he he survives the spider. He goes to uh, the he he survives um, his uh, he, he survives the 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 driver uh, drunkenly driving his boat, um, <laughs> and then they land on the island, uh, and he meets our first our first official bond girl. Yep. Uh, I, I'm going to argue with that. I think, I think we've got Ooh. Sylvia trench in the, the scene of, of bonds introduction. I, I don't think that her, to, to me, I've, to me, I've always, uh, that's really interesting to me. I've always thought that the bond girl is always, the, almost always the second or third girl that bond sleeps with. To me, oh, I think there's usually easy two or get. three in, in per movie. But to me, there's there's always the easy get, and the Bond girl is the one that he has to quote unquote earn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I always think about movies like the Bros movies were really funny because they always tended to have two side by side Bond girls. So that was always the poster, like Sophie yeah. Marceau and Denise Richards, and then you had Halle Berry and Rosamund Pike. And I could see arguing them. I, I do tend to kind of agree with uh, Honey Rider is the first true Bond girl. I think of the Bond girl sometimes is the woman that sees through the story with Bond that, that ultimately helps him complete the mission. Kind of is how I would define a Bond girl. But I see your argument, too. I mean... I think it's it's uh, any attractive uh, woman he has he has dealings with. He, I, think, I think Miss, Miss Tara was, is a Bond girl. Uh, okay. Definitely Sylvia Trent. I think the, the girl who played the photographer probably uh, goes around telling people she's a Bond girl. And I, I'm sure she that's, does. You know, we can debate that one. Uh, that's a really good question, though. Is in order to be a Bond girl, do you have to sleep with Bond? 
Well, no, I, there, there's plenty who, who haven't. Uh, what's uh, Olga Kurilenko, Quantum of Solace? Uh, I think they, there's a tiny little smooch at the end, and she's like the girl in that movie. That, that to be fair, and if we go further into that, um, I, I am, and you know this of me, I am firmly of the belief that in uh, Quantum of Solace, Bond is the Bond girl. Yeah. Bond's sort of having a romance with himself and dealing with his feelings appropriately. <laughs> Bond is a hundred percent the Bond girl in that film. I I am I I cannot be convinced otherwise. Yeah, I think is it Carolyn Monroe who plays Naomi, the the evil, yeah, the evil. helicopter pilot and spy who loved me? Yeah, it is. that's yeah. a Bond girl. She doesn't hook up with Bond. She's she's a babe. She yeah. tries to kill Bond. Bond girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to come up with some definition around this Bond girl stuff. I think there's a lot of arguments to be had here. All right. Well, that that well, we'll we'll have a oh yeah, we were saying last night we we should have a we'll have a debate episode where there oh, are yeah. questions like these and, and we can Love can it. argue them. Um, um, point being, they meet Honey Rider. She's collecting shells. Yeah, they're worth they're worth an ungodly amount of money. Um, yeah, she says fifty dollars for yeah. the the conch. Yeah, which, uh, which, by the way, money then to now is is multiplied by roughly eight. Oh, so she's saying that it's about four hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's saying that someone in Miami, because she says this is worth fifty dollars in Miami. <laughs> uh, I think it was like here. It's worth three. I think it was mostly men buying the shells, wanting something else from Honey. I think it's where no. that price was determined. I don't know. I like that she also has a her knife is clearly like an oyster shucker yeah. um, that has just been sort of unceremoniously placed into her belt holding up nothing. Um but uh so anyway, so she yeah, they meet they meet honey, um, a bunch of dudes with guns screw up her boat. She immediately, like any anyone should, uh blames the nearest person and says that they're responsible, yeah. which is great. <laughs> um and then, uh, uh, and then I guess they what? They wander through the swamp for about a day. Yeah, it seems yeah, like there, there's definitely a, a night, right? Yes, there is a night. Yeah, I mean, Quarrel's killed at the end of the night, right? That's the. And and they also say uh, the when they are finally captured, uh, the the secretary, finally an Asian person, yeah, <laughs> um, s- says that they they were told the oh, night yeah. before. And they were expected at dinner, and then they were expected at breakfast. So it's now late, late morning, early afternoon, I, and we know that they landed early, early morning the day before. I like that that stuff with getting in there, and and a lot of that stuff is like right out of the the book. Just how weird it is when they get in there, like how, and that's that'll kind of go forward in a lot of the Bond movies. But I think they're like maybe the nicest to Bond in in Doctor No when he's he's captured and just like, hey, what can I get you? Like, let's get you some clothes. Let's get you some breakfast and just the whole hotel reception. I, I really enjoy in this one. Yeah. It, it to me is a strong contender. I, I wish that Doctor No had about the, the, the character Doctor No had one or two more scenes. Yeah, he's, he's um, not quite in the movie. And but he, I like the build up to him and i i like uh how he's introduced yeah the the concept that he's trying to he essentially just ran into the wrong spy um because everyone wants money but he runs into the arguably like the only character we've met that isn't swayed by anything other than his own drive for sort of success and adventure yeah 
Yeah. Um, he tries to turn Bond, and I wish that there was a st- another scene of it because I think it's really cool. If this movie was made now, I do. I think that there would be. I think that I think that the character of Dent would have been a much smaller character, and, and that Doctor No himself would have been in a lot more. Um, but this idea that he is he treats Bond Bond well and and includes him because he sees the possibility of a partnership. Um, and Bond is like, it, I think that Bond, and this is what makes it cool and what makes him him, is that Bond is like the only spy that wouldn't. It's this, this idea that any of the other 00s would have turned, but he unluckily uh, met up with 007. Huh. Yeah, that's. I, a, I've never really thought about the movie that way. I, I find it, just to go on a quick side tangent, that the establishing Bond is that's is like this sort of incorruptible for reasons you never really know throughout any of the movies, but him just, this movie does really, he is just incorruptible. Nothing can stop. Like you don't really know why either. He's so doggedly loyal to the British government, but he's a little bit like a, a superhero on that, like Batman or like a oh, super yeah. sense because yeah. it's like, he's really almost mythically, you know, he can't be changed. He can't be swayed. He can't do the wrong thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's a very, they do a really good job of establishing Bond as that sort of character, a sort of almost mythic type character in this movie. Can I go back to our friend, uh, Mr. Jones for a second? Cause uh, an important thing happens in that scene, which is, I think James Bond makes the first uh, joke in any of the movies about a character dying in particular, someone that he's just killed. Uh, and I, I love that when he, he walks up and that guy is, it's like good, good looking corpse. He looks kind of scary uh, sitting in the backseat. It's like eyes open, dead. And he says to the like valet or the guard or whoever, just make sure he doesn't get away. And uh, they said, just in, keep an eye on him, will you? Or something. Uh, I, I think it's uh, make sure he doesn't get away. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Terrence Young apparently was working with Connery on like, you know, you really just like undersell, like really deadpan that line, just kind of toss it off. And they, they, the two of them in particular enjoyed that so much that they uh, were adding more of that kind of stuff into the script. So like there's stuff that they just made up later, like when the, the car uh, crashes and explodes. And I think it's like a hearse for the three blind mice. I think they were on their way to, to a funeral. Yeah. Uh, and then that, that, you know, carries through all the movies. So good and, and terrible, sometimes jokes about death. Sylvia Trench and, and Miss Tarot both are not uh, characters in the book. Uh, they're both written into this just to like, I guess they, they thought early on that the way to like, one of the main ways to separate Bond from your average just B-movie hero was like, this guy really fucks. <laughs> it's just like, we, we have to sit, <laughs> show how much this guy uh, likes the ladies. Uh, and uh yeah, they're they're kind of thrown in there for for that reason. Um, is uh is the tank uh in the book, and or more importantly, is the tank in the book the way that it is in the film? Um, yeah, it's it's pretty much uh, that's pretty close. Um, and it's it's really funny because they're uh, Doctor No uh, doesn't quite own all of of Crab Key like. Uh, the Autobahn Society has part of um, has leased part of the island, and they're trying to build a hotel there uh, because there's uh, some sort of rare um, bird. And so Doctor knows complaining to Bond about like, can like, are you kidding me? Like, it's like 
my whole operation is going to be was going to be done in by like some old ladies. So I think that's a great uh, Netflix series we should pitch. It's just like Maggie Smith, Betty White, like versus Dr. No. I also have the implication here that that Dr. No has an, like an army of soldiers and scientists. And at the same time, and he's so incredibly intelligent that he has created his, his own personal personal uh nuclear powered base and yet he still needs to like scooby-doo villain his way uh out of people coming onto his property instead of just having a bunch of fences or something he's like and also uh um uh there's a dragon here <laughs> well that's a question i have is uh game of thrones or dr no more convincing dragon Ooh. um i'm gonna say dr no Mostly because I can understand the character of that dragon. Yeah. What I can't understand is a dragon that's flying like 300 yards above everything and doesn't see a boat that just has a massive turret aimed right at it in the open ocean. So I'm going to say that I know that dragons fly and Honey Rider definitely says that the the, uh, dragon has wings and a tail and then we see it. And it super doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's didn't. A weird that, thing for me to be mad about, but I'm mad about we're, it. We're, they didn't like paint some wings on or something. Nope there's um, there are tail fins, but they but, are they're they're horizontal, uh, and and in no way could you could sustain lift. It's but very he, yeah. clearly a tank, and it's a little insulting to now, all the characters. Let's oh, oh, now hold on. It's very clearly, it's very clearly a, a like Toyota Supra with a with a. <laughs> let's not, let's not parse. It's not a tank. You they there's a shot where they it drives right towards you, and you see it bouncing because it's clearly a tarp covering a camel with some indigestion. <laughs> that's like, it's that's not true. A, it's not a tank. Yeah, it's. Well, let me put it this way. It's a. It's. It's a Toyota. It's a, it's a Toyota Corolla pretending to be a tank, pretending to be a dragon. There we go. Um, so yeah, Bond. Uh, the Bond, I guess, has this dinner. Doctor No has his fun prosthetic metal hands due yep. to radiation, which is great. Yeah, um, <laughs> didn't affect then, the rest of his body. Yeah, just hands, just hands. And then, to, which is which? Uh, you want to then ask yourself, what in the hell were you doing with those uh, uranium rods? <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's my biggest question of the movies. Also, how does Doctor No masturbate now? That's a good question because we we see him grip that statue, and that's horrifying. And this introduces us to Spectre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Spectre, not part of the book. Uh, he's just his own guy in the novel specter uh is in thunderball under majesty's secret service and you only live twice that's the like the blofeld trilogy of the books um but i think just because they they'd like just he just had the idea for for specter fleming um that uh he kind of that that was going to be in the Thunderball screenplay that he kind of George Lucas to his own uh, book here. I was like, Oh yeah, Spectre, that should be in the whole thing. Um, Spectre is very great. Spectre is very cool. It's, it's, it is so much um, like we skipped over the, the many, 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 many uh, tropes that this sets up that are, that happened in every spy film since. And, and that so much of this film is the basis for the very first Austin Powers film. Um, mm. But the, to me, the best, Man, just one of the best pieces of dialogue is when this 
this poor actor who's already been been handed the just Herculean task of playing a Chinese German <laughs> super scientist has to look at, at the most handsome man alive with a straight face and say that he is part of an organi- organization whose acronym spells. And also these yeah. he tells him that it is the special executive for counterintelligence, terrorism, <laughs> revenge, and extortion, which also does really spell a uh, secretary. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very questionable if that really is the proper acronym for the Spectre. It's it's but the P is is in, is the S and the P are both from special, which is just <laughs> it. it uh, anyway, that he has to then look at him dead in the face. And Bond has the great line where, where which is great and bad, which is to me the the what Bond is is he looks at me and dead in the face and just says like, well, I'd only be interested in the revenge like section of spectrum yeah. <laughs> which is like okay james very cool james who's being held captive and is about to be, have, be beaten senseless by two semi-chinese guards oh so the the big guy who beats him up in that scene uh played um sandor the guy in spy who loved me that he he throws off the roof oh really yeah that's one of my favorite bond kills it's a good. Um, yeah. uh, also, so, so you know, uh, Max, are you aware of the the Goya uh, portrait of the Duke of Wellington that that Bond uh, takes at in this scene? I am only aware because I I was reading about it. Um, yeah, I think it's it's super cool that that was like that was a missing painting at literally at the time of the film being made, and so yeah. it was it was very wink nod. Um, I, I that is I think that that is exceptionally cool. That's one of those things that you is unfortunate looking back and not having that um that sort of wink wink nod nod um from today's perspective yeah it, it doesn't really hold up and make sense uh today if you don't know but it's i, I like that that kind of touch and it's just a, a tiny thing i think yeah. that kind of thing is okay when it's you know five seconds long and it's that that little joke um more annoying when when you're you know relying on the the dramatic thrust of of your movie to you're counting on everyone to know who Blofeld is and yeah, uh, we'll talk about it, it is. Second. I will say that it is, it is the, the modern equivalent would be that James Bond would sort of like kick the, the electric grates out with his, with his like shoe hands. And then he would quickly dab and then he would climb through the vents. Yeah. Um, would be sort of the <laughs> modern equivalent. Um, doesn't he do that? No. Vector? The, doesn't he, it's in the deleted scenes. It's in the director's <laughs> cut. Um, yeah, so I you... like that also in, in this is a uh, couple movies before he gets the gadgets. I mean, he, he's got the suitcase in, in From Russia With Love and then Goldfinger is really where the, the gadgets start. But I just like Bond kind of doing spy stuff and, and problem solving uh, just with his, his two bare hands and, and like punching through the those grates uh, with his shirt and stuff is, is pretty cool. Yeah, the closest you get to a gadget is that they change out his at the beginning of the film they change out his Beretta for the Walter PPK, um, because and as they as they say in the film as to quote unquote why is that it can thread a, like a very powerful silencer and then you see him use that later in the film. Yeah, I think that's a really cool. I wrote that down. That's a cool touch in that scene because like he he makes a, a very big point of the silencer. It takes a Brouch silencer. I think and you're like, well, why is that's just a, I mean, a weird thing to point out, but it then ends up using it later, which is a really cool little touch. 
Yeah, it's a great payoff. I, I think that, that, let's talk about uh, that scene where he kills Professor Dent for a second because that that and like the name and maybe one or two others are I think a few of the biggest scenes in just establishing the the character of James Bond in this movie where and there was a lot of behind the scenes debate about should he really kill this unarmed guy in in cold blood uh and they decided to just go to just go for it and go for they shot what they said was like the most extreme version of of what they they'd written um for the scene and and it's just super cool i love that one liner that that's a, a smith and wesson and, and you've had your six yeah uh, Ooh, killing him and then shooting a guy in the back <laughs> just yeah, like already, already dead <laughs> i do like it though I, I think that's another really cool bond character trait that they established like bond isn't necessarily a great guy or like yeah. some angel like he's a pretty bad dude by all metrics he's just a bad dude that's working for the the good people you know depending on your perspective and yeah, you know maybe part of him knows if he leaves him alive or, or takes him into to you know jail or whatever he could get out like he could report back to doctor now or something it's just more efficient yeah on his it, mission to shoot this it, guy and there is a little bit of justification i mean dent did put six bullets in a pillow <laughs> and then tried to grab well, the gun again to, yeah you know um he I, I think there's you can see why he did what as brutal as it is there's some logic to it you know um so that that all takes us here to the the end where you're in this super amazing, cool nuclear base, and the the plan of the villain is to use a radio jammer um, to stop the Mercury space launch, um, uh, which is amazing, just perfect and amazing. Um, that uh, they have all this this power and stuff, and it isn't. It's not to create a nuke. It's not to to do anything. Great. It's literally to. Uh, fool the United States into thinking that Russia has stopped them from going to space using radio waves. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is like in in some parts, like probably to do with budget and the fact that they didn't want to build big missiles or anything. A lot of that stuff is clearly done in miniature, um, and and done well, but but done in miniature. Um, but then part of it is actually really cool. And again, it says to me how great of a character Doctor No is. Uh, and I, I really rewatching this this even more recently. I really enjoy Dr. No as a character. Yeah. Um, I, I'm no. actually really sad that he, that um, I, I, I think that, that he's an incredibly underused character. Yeah. Um, but the, this all leads and I'll, I'll, I'll stop my grandstanding here to, to possibly my, my most favorite and to me the most silly bond thing that happens in this, in this film. Um, and it could be the silliest thing that happened in a couple films is that, he got, he gets into the sort of nuclear base where they are uh, conducting this this final push to use the radio beam, and it's all being nuclear powered. And Bond is able to get in disguised in his his sort of suit, <laughs> yeah. um, and he climbs up a set a small set of stairs, uh, and he stands in front of a crank, and that crank says danger level, um, and the crank can be cranked from one direction, which is no danger, into the other direction, which is danger. <laughs> the crank has no other purposes <laughs> other than to take this device from safe to unsafe it 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 can't have anything go back and watch please there is no other thing it controls than the amount of danger as if yeah. dr no was like well what if we want to do it but we want to feel a little spicy <laughs> 
bring it a little towards danger today. See what happens. It's it is it blows my mind every time I see it. I love it. I I think it is the great. It's the most Bond because that's the entire point. Is he pulls it into danger, and then you get the thing that you get in every good Bond film, which is you get everything going wild. Bond succeeding because he's one man that beats the system literally. Um, yeah, don't don't be explosions. That that um room that's freaking out that's like purple background and the mechanical arms are just moving themselves it's just like yeah. this robot like octopus is <laughs> having a meltdown in there <laughs> um you, you have you have this it's the fact that he was able to turn this it's like it is a deus ex machina in the purest sense um that he's able to just sort of like <laughs> yeah. turn and and just from turning that he's able to stop this terrible happening he kills dr no he's able to save honey um, get out onto the boat um, and we have the the great moment and another great bond moment where he uh, uh, Felix shows up with with roughly six Marines in a fishing boat um, also says, knows it's James Bond when they're like under the the like they're down like where they can't be seen making out yeah he, yeah, he, knows, like... he knows he knows that ass he knows the back of that sweet sweet head <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, what I don't I I'm forgetting what's the line that he said he says a great line to Felix at that moment. Uh, he's like, oh, do you, do you guys need to be rescued or something? Yeah, it's yeah. So, some something about that. And he says uh, Felix says something like it, it certainly doesn't look like you need to be or something. He yeah, has some sort of like funny quip. Um, and then you get the great Bond moment where they're they're tossed a rope. The boat is being pulled along, and Bond yeah. lets the rope slip. Uh, Felix lets it happen. Yeah, <laughs> he's just oh. shaking his head, like, "All right, I'll see that guy." Hopefully, a... I guess I'll just get—I <laughs> guess I'll just get six more Marines to come back out here tomorrow yeah. and do the same thing. It, I yeah. have to go this, fuck myself. <laughs> especially this spy that Felix met roughly thirty-six hours ago. Yeah, um, they, we we cut a night of of those two guys drinking together. I think where where he probably got a sense of like, "Oh, Bond likes women a lot. Yeah. Like <laughs> Bond likes women I, too much." <laughs> I've always liked the idea that Felix and I think that there's I think that that Felix is a whole episode or like a whole series um, because the, the Felix to me is this this beauty, beautiful idea that he is supposed to be the counterpoint to, to Bond, yeah. not just for the Americans, but literally in his uh, the way that he goes about missions and whatnot. Like in this, he probably would have been successful. Obviously, we only see one boat, but Felix was going to come in with the full force of the American military um dr no we don't think had an escape of any kind and so the united states was going to know that this wasn't russia that this was a private uh uh, uh sort of pirateer if, if you will um it just was going to have to be success a little too late and with a little too much blood on his hands but it's this it's this lovely idea that felix could be just as good as bond at, at being a spy but felix follows every rule yeah, yeah. Uh, i think which the I, the sort of undertone of their relationship is always that they're kind of kindred spirits on opposite yeah. sides of the pond, you know. Yeah. I, well, I really like. It's funny because in in this one, he's he's like a younger guy. He's you know Jack Lord is is good looking, uh, and like I some of the other ones like Goldfinger or Diamonds, they pick that sort of like pudgy older guy or something. So dynamic changes, and I I don't understand why they could never just lock an actor. And to play like your Felix and your Blofeld, like every time we play do a Bond movie, like, I, I love. Yeah, there have been more Felix. There have been more Felixes than there have been Bonds, which is crazy. Oh yeah. Um. So they, I, I 
Googled the other night because I was like, why the fuck didn't Jack Lord come back for Goldfinger? And uh, apparently um, he just wanted like co-billing and like it, it to be like a James Bond and Felix Leiter movie. Yeah. They were yeah. like, sorry, man, like you haven't made Hawaii Five-0 yet. So no one really knows you still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's not what James Bond is. It's a real bummer yeah. that they didn't get him back. I, I feel like Jack Lord, you know, having played Felix for a couple of movies would have been a really cool thing. He does a good job in Doctor Now. Yeah. I would rank him amongst they, my yeah. two or three they, favorite players. They have players, some, some sure. the most chemistry of, of Bond and, and Felix, the Connery and, and Lord. Well, it's like you feel like they're two guys that did go out drink, like could go yeah. out drinking any night and get, you know, mm-hmm. real drunk together <laughs> and share war stories. Like they kind of have that like fraternity brother bond to them. Also, Max, a little surprised you didn't uh, feel the need to bring up Felix Leiter's uh, sunglasses. Uh, I, I can't think. I, I Apparently, I missed them. Well, yeah, <laughs> oh, imagine he, Elizabeth Taylor sunglasses, <laughs> but a man's oh. wearing them. Sure. And he's, sure. He's got a real fancy pair of sunglasses at the airport. Uh, oh, he. Do, I will say that at the airport, they do a, a real bad job of, of – well, granted, they, they do a good bad job. Um, where like you, you clearly are supposed to not know if this is a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah. But he does. Here's something I will give you that, that is amazing from that scene is that he stands uh, watching Bond on the phone. Then he walks up to the phone booth after Bond left. He opens the door a little more. He looks in. He turns back to Bond. He looks in again, and then he walks as if what Bond was gonna <laughs> like take a piss there, as if Bond. <laughs> like left a note saying like hi felix nice to meet you <laughs> like they they it, it's uh yeah the the it's the felix felix in this is another one of those things where you do sort of feel feel that there was and granted this is a long movie especially at the time um like it doesn't feel long i think it feels great and feels really well paced mm-hmm. but it runs like what it runs just at like almost just at two hours yeah it's like 150 um, i think and like and it and it feels every minute of it not in a bad way or a good way just you you feel the time that it has mm-hmm. i i do think that there's a version of this movie that's 20 minutes longer that feels even more full and it already stands up yeah well i think that the i i always saw this as being one of the slower ones and i think it's it feels a little slower paced today because it's not an action movie yet you know? yeah from Rush with Love, a little bit, but really Goldfinger, Thunderball start to kind of define like what is a modern action movie. Um, Doctor No is is a spy thriller, but I, I think it it works. You know, the the most boring Bonds for me, like View to a Kill or or especially Diamonds Are Forever, are the ones that just uh, it all kind of feels like a joke or it feels like there's no stakes. And I think there is kind of tension and suspense throughout Dr. No and, and especially in Dr. No and from Russia with love, uh, James Bond is still a character and he's still, uh, vulnerable. And like, you know, he's, he's trapped in the jail hotel and honey rider says, I'm scared. And he's just like, yeah, I'm scared too. Like you don't, you don't get that out of bond. Like even a few movies later. Yeah. This is, um, I'll, I'll similar to, to what, uh, we were saying earlier, I, I won't, I, I won't and wouldn't say out loud right now what like where it is in my sort of pantheon. Um, but this is, for example, uh, if if any or all of the movies were playing in a movie theater tomorrow, this would be one of the ones that I would try to catch. Yeah, yeah, we so. we saw it uh, together. That that we time. did, yeah, 
it play this is one that it plays great on a big screen yeah it plays great with an audience um and it uh uh more so than than well i shouldn't say that because i uh, thunderball is, is it's also like absolutely just fantastic um but it uh for being the beginning of something um it does a, such a good job of doing that thing that 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 honestly that smart tv normally does this had that benefit of knowing that it was going to be one of a series kind of no matter what just because movies were cheaper then yeah um and so it it succeeds in that way that a, a good a good procedural will sometimes start where the first episode ever is meant to feel like the third or fourth episode yeah it is meant to feel as if there is already action that has occurred um and and uh casino royale does a, a really good job of it um the, the the remake not the not the uh original that we talked about with jimmy um, or, or the 67 uh peter or the peter <laughs> um but it, it also does that great job of you this this should every bond film should feel like just another day for bond yeah i, I do um, I, and, and this does such a great job of setting that up it does you're right i mean i, I like that bond goes in there you know the first in the onset when he goes into m's office you can tell he's a, kind of a veteran already you know this is just another yeah it's not it's not oh this is your first assignment it's the biggest thing you've ever done it's like hey remember give me your gun because it got jammed a year ago and you were in the hospital like almost died like you know you get a feeling like he's midstream on his career. You know, this is just yeah. another day in the Bond world, as you said. Yeah, and 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 M just doesn't want him to be another one of them. Damn forty percent. Yeah, the forty. The damn forty percent. <laughs> Monica Vandersil is the woman who ends up dubbing Ursula Andress. They think she is just too strong of an accent. Um, she seems to speak English pretty well. It's kind of a weird move because you see her like they were all speaking in English to her at the time. So I figure she had to feel kind of shitty about that. that like, oh, yeah, we're not going to use your voice. Yeah. Um, they also paint her uh, kind of golden. She was, uh, I guess, too too white, too Swiss to look like someone who, who lived on the, the islands in there. Um so, uh, first Bond movie, uh, Maurice uh, Binder or Binder? I don't know how you pronounce um, his name. I always say Binder, but I'm not sure that's right. We'll say Maurice Binder. Um, he, he's at the series from the start. He does the, the title sequence with the, the dots. Um, Harry Saltzman wants to use Underneath the Mango Tree for that. Uh, Peter Hunt, who edited these movies and would go, go on, on to direct Honor Master's Secret Service. Correct. Uh, he's like, no, like that doesn't set the tone at all. Like we got to do that, that like theme that Monty Norman and John Barry have put together. Um, and I think his, his title sequence is, is all right. It's, it's kind of cool. I think his genius move on this is inventing the, the gun barrel image. Uh, definitely one of the most iconic uh, just stills from, from a James Bond movie. that kind of black and white, swirl yeah the swirl um and that i i always thought it was some sort of composite design but apparently he just took a, a pinhole camera and uh and is actually filming um the stuntman bob simmons is james bond there uh and for the next two movies uh through an actual gun barrel which is pretty cool um yeah as you said that the movie um uh Cost about a million, comes out on October 6th, 1962, uh, comes out in the U.S., uh, spring of 63, 
makes about 59 million in uh, rentals. Pretty good uh, ratio there. I think if I could just smile, my one big note, just watching this as a takeaway is, and we've hinted at this the whole episode, but you know, Goldfinger gets so much of the credit for everyone says, you know, the bond formula is really perfected there. That movie gets a lot of credit for, I think the bond formula, man, I think a ton of the bond formula is in this movie. I think it does a lot of stuff that you just see come back again and again and again. And in that way, to me, it's, I know it's the first one. I know it's still a little bit clunky in parts, but man, it is, it is a good James Bond movie. They, they, everything you expect in the James Bond movie is in this, maybe aside from the gadgets, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think it was radical in 1962 that Sylvia Trench plays golf? Um, I don't know. Does she actually play golf? Well, she's, she's putting in, in his apartment. Uh, when does the LPGA start? I, I'll tell you. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, they also are, are scheduled to go play golf. Yeah. So Also, point. more importantly, how does she get into his apartment? That is an excellent question that I'm I'm always uh, the uh, he, he, he doesn't care weird thread. Yeah, he just says that's just another, that's another thread that never gets pulled out where she it just could be a, a spy. Yeah. Yeah, I like to I like to think that Bond is you know in Seinfeld, Crazy Joe Davola, how he leaves his <laughs> door open because he welcomes intruders. <laughs> I think Bond Bond is kind of lives like that. He's welcomes you know people walking in and out. There's no lock on that door. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because he, he just says, how did you get in here? And she says, I decided to accept your invitation. Not an answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. he, he points out, we were scheduled for tomorrow afternoon. Um, well, she's got to spy stuff. Max, do you know the story with, uh, with the Walter PPK and why it's, why it's in the books and movies? No, or, or at least I, I, I've forgotten it, and I was definitely having the... I was questioning um, while I was watching. Uh, so Ian Fleming in the, the first few novels, at least, is writing uh, Bond using a Beretta. Uh, there's this super nerdy English guy, Jeffrey Boothroyd, uh, who writes to him this big, long letter about, I love your books, but like a Beretta is a terrible gun. James Bond should use a Walter PPK uh, and why that's better. And uh, Ian Fleming's like, yeah, sure. Uh, so he names uh, the Q character after him. He's Major Boothroyd. Uh, they call him in this movie and in the next movie. Uh, and I guess those two were like friends. And there's a, a like feature on, on one of the DVDs where it's this short film of Jeffrey Boothroyd. I think you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, just the most British man alive talking about guns and shooting them. It's, it's pretty wild. With a name like Boothroyd, I'd have thought he's Italian. Yeah. Wow, now I would have loved the Beretta then. That is, I do love that the, the he they take away his, his Beretta and the, and the other agent calls it. He's like, uh, he 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 says essentially, um, oh, what will you keep in your purse now? <laughs> Calling it a woman a woman's gun, and then hands him a gun the size of like three Legos. Yeah, the Walter PPK is tiny. It's an exceptionally small. We see how small it is when when his massive mitt tries to pull it out of his pocket. <laughs> Um, like the the gun is, and, and and it's I love it. It's so sleek. It's so sexy. It's a gorgeous. It, it, I'm I'm into it. You know, I'm, I'm like I I enjoy guns. I enjoy the way that they they look 
um and i love it but it is so funny that that they're calling one of them a girl gun and they're just like and here's uh i guess something you could kill a squirrel with if you were very lucky um also mr jones kind of a shitty uh assassin kind of bad at his job because he's bond is walking into this taxi at the airport and then these women point out like hey like we were here before you and he's like oh well go ahead and then mr jones kind of like slides up to him he's like is your name mr bond he's like where were you man like you should have had a sign like yeah like bond really could have just got a cab so yeah it's like isn't it your job to kill him very very little prep work done on his part well as we know uh, very half He also he also <laughs> didn't have his own cyanide capsule on him. He had to ask Bond for it. Yeah, yeah. This... <laughs> he didn't have it in a place that he could access all the time. He had to get beaten and then politely ask the man that kicked the, kicked the shit out of him for his cigarette. Yeah, I love the guy at, at MI6 station says cyanide in a cigarette. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so Bond gets into the car with Mr. Jones and he says, "Where do you want to go?" And uh, Bond's line is government house, but I'm not in a hurry. Just take me for a ride. Uh, I think I wrote down it's it's good that uh, Mr. Jones just wants to kill him because that could have ended up in a, a weirder situation, maybe <laughs> with a, a different country, maybe with a different dude. Yeah, could have ended up with here's Mr. Jones thing. taking his shirt off and asking <laughs> Bond to pinch his nipples. <laughs> so Bond... my, here's my thing is that Bond now has, if if you made Bond now, he has to be bisexual, right? Well, like they you can't. There isn't a world. Well, they, um, where Bond doesn't isn't just sort of isn't just sort of poly, where he isn't just sort of pansexual. They 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 hinted that in in Skyfall. I feel like a little bit with the line with Silva. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I kind of read that. I think as him just fucking with Silva, but I, John Logan said something about that when one of the writers on that movie of like, well, this isn't like. There's gay subtext in a lot of the movies, and he cited Man with the Golden Gun. I'm not exactly sure what he's referencing there. But... I, I, well, I think the the gay. I think there's a lot of people that theorize that Scaramanga is actually has a romantic interest in Bond. Hmm. I think is what yeah. that is. I think in the books it's a little bit more prominent too. In the Man with the Golden Gun book, that like there's some some psychosexual elements to uh, Scaramanga's fascination with Bond. Yeah. Uh, that's, I just I, definitely think that Bond Bond loves beauty, uh, and that like a modern Bond almost essentially then would have to just sort of like he's got to sort of just have just fuck anything that moves. I think yeah. I mean, I I would certainly say I'm of the opinion he'd probably he would probably fuck anything to get the mission done, for sure, without a doubt. But like you can picture like 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 a, a Bond fighting like a like an, an American agent who's, who's like, you know, like a Chris Evans esque type. And that, that the <laughs> fight just is a little too long and a little too tight. Yeah. And that like the, this idea that, that like bond respects uh, when people show him up. Essentially. Yeah. Um, and I think that that like, I'm, I would dig that. It's, I, it, I'd it be okay happen, with that, kind but, of, it, but I would super like, like it. Subtext. Uh, you know, I don't know if I need like Roger Moore like taking his shirt off with with Channing Tatum and being like the things I do for England. Okay, now hold up because I definitely need that now, and you're wrong. You, you picked the worst you're... possible thing to say. <laughs> you 
shows that I'm I'm mad that again you've been logging into my personal blogs and reading them. Uh, <laughs> Your fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, how dare you? Because you've you've cut to the core of me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd I'd watch that movie. I I think uh, we should get James Cameron to uh, to make that movie. We can kind of. Yeah, Grand Moff Tarkin, uh, Roger, yeah, Roger Moore into, into a movie with, uh... or like, or like uh, T- Timothy Dalton and like Marky Mark. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that would be. Great. I think Timothy Dalton like... is is due now for for his kind of never say never again. Like he needs to just remake License to Kill as a seventy year old. Well, I would love it if he did an old Bond like they did the the old Sherlock Holmes movie with Ian Ian McKellen. Yeah, <laughs> he's just forgetting oh, shit. Um... <laughs> Like it's a little sad, but like he's and but like the at the end of it, you don't know if it was all like if he made the whole thing up or if he really is senile. Like that to me would have to be the point that like it it somehow plays into the plan. So you're sort of left with this glimmer where you're like, mm, maybe he's <laughs> going really mad, or maybe like that was sort of that was the plan the whole time. Yeah, yeah hell, I, I say do it with George Lazenby. He's still around. He's still kicking. Yeah, oh, the Lays, <laughs> the Lays, man. He can, he can. The... <laughs> I've been dying for another Lays Me Bond movie for the entirety of my life. You know, if you can get anyone to come back and make another one, you know it's it's been him since 1972. Yeah, he's been staring at his he's been staring at his rotary phone since. <laughs> he yeah, he practices tying a bow tie daily. <laughs> I wrote down: Hotel clerk checks out Bond's ass. She sure does. She does. That's prominent. Uh, I, I always forget that, and I always uh, really enjoy that. Um, oh, I, I like just Bond doing kind of the old-fashioned spy stuff, like putting the the dust for the the powder for fingerprints on his suitcase, and, and then, the hair and the yeah, he puts the hair on the door, and then he comes back, and the the most evidence in this movie of of Bond just drinking way too much. He he's got the Smirnoff that's uh, already open that makes him nervous since there's been someone in his room. Just takes out a brand new bottle of Smirnoff. Yep. <laughs> I always yep. thought the implication there though is that he he does like he always carries two bottles everywhere because in he's case expecting someone, to be poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like not necessarily that's, that's that much. Also, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's he also has two bottles. I think yeah, you disagree from what you were saying before, but uh, I was gonna say. Just uh, neat uh, Smirnoff, maybe the grossest thing that that Bond drinks, or at least that's the thing I would least want to drink that Bond drinks in any of the movies. And he drinks Smirnoff neat in a couple of them. He does. I I think as recently as Tomorrow Never Dies, he has neat Smirnoff. Yeah. In this one, in this one, he also does one of my favorite things from from the books that was supposed to separate him. Um, which and they do it without talking about it is that uh, at no point in the film does he have a tea, but when they're brought into Doctor No's sort of base, there is a pot of coffee. Waiting. Oh, oh yeah, because yeah, he doesn't drink tea. Well, that because he yeah. doesn't drink tea, he drinks coffee. Yeah, uh, Goldfinger, the book he calls uh, tea mud. Yeah, doesn't he? Say it's- but to me, that also again plays to, and I'm overthinking it, but I but I bet that they just wanted to do it because it, it plays to the book. But to me, it plays to to Doctor No as a character. Oh yeah, where the assumption would that, be yeah. for this British character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and I love that. I lo- I think that that's so cool. Uh, do you think Connery's wearing a wig in this movie? I'm gonna say no. <sighs> it, gets, it gets wet a lot, so I think no. Yeah, but he's swimming in in Thunderball, and I'm pretty sure he's wearing a piece at that point. I'm- also, 
going back, what's his face? Uh, the whole the whole time that they're in the jungle and stuff, both he the two whitest people on on planet Earth keep on taking all their clothes off, and like the Jamaica guy is the one guy with sense that's just like I'm gonna keep my shirt and pants. <laughs> yeah. <on." laughs> yeah. Like, I don't care to get wet. She, They'll dry. She talks a lot about uh, nature and like what animals are dangerous in the book and in the movies. It's like uh, maybe don't be like mostly naked this whole time. Um, yeah, he has it. Uh, uh, he has it right. The Bond and Honey have it real wrong. Where Bond Bond shows up to his spy his spy evening in powder blue matching shirt. <laughs> like shirt I love that out. That's one of my favorite. Bond it's so good. It's so what the fuck? It's, it's so good. Uh, I like to imagine that they're on the boat over, and Felix is like, "So, um, is that tactical?" <laughs> 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 We get a long time of uh, Miss Tarot telling Bond how to get to her house. Like, I think all, all you need is like, oh, yeah, meet me in my place later. It like take a right and go up the hill and then we could fade and like assume that she says more. But there's like two minutes of just. Like, oh, yeah, there's a little mailbox. Don't go right. You kind of go. You bear right. It's not a hard right turn here. There's a there's a tree stump three miles down the road. <laughs> Papa sells fruit there sometimes. <laughs> yeah. She's also definitely. If you she's bring McDonald's, you've to... gone too far. <laughs> Do a Yui. She does bring him over to to like keep him there long enough for Dent to kill him. Yeah. Uh, and and definitely like she has sex with him once and then says, you know what'll really make him stay if I do my nails in the most <laughs> odd fashion. As if I was a human who has never seen a nail before. Well, and then when he says, I'm hungry, let's get dinner, just sort of go, nah. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't, he wants to go out because he doesn't want her to get uh, dishpan hands. She also says, I'll make a Chinese. <laughs> Which is, if she was actually Chinese, I think she would just say, I'll make food. Yeah, I'll make dinner. Yeah, that works. But, but instead, she, instead, she's most certainly not Chinese and therefore says it that way um it's it's maybe the word i think we could debate dr no or quantum of sauce being the worst uh car chase in the the series um just bad rear projection and that it ends with like he somehow slides under that thing that there's way yeah. his, his bentley or whatever would have room to go under and then that car like skids comes to like a full stop and then just like rolls yeah. off the cliff and explodes <laughs> To me, that has to be. It has to still be quantum because at least this has the. You understand the geography you're made and the money. This movie, yeah, yeah, and, and like they just didn't have that much to go with it from a budget perspective. I mean, car chases are expensive. You know, it just there wasn't that much they could do here. Like, I think all things considered, I, this is way better than Quantum in a way. I mean, it's the first time. Oh, it's kind of, it's a much better movie, and the, yeah, I think the scene probably even even car chase. Because it at least it, the, the you can follow the through line of Bond's thoughts, Bond's fears, the danger at hand, and how he uses his sort of like his innate spy skills to get out of it. We we then obviously and rightly are like laughing and pointing out how very dumbly it, it plays out. But like at least the thought you can you can see the thought and the progression. I, I agree. I, I think it's I think him is. is asinine as it is him driving under the crane is kind of cool it's a very bond-esque thing to do it's bad it's not quantum of solace bad yeah it's also something that like we've seen it probably happened before and it's happened a million times since i mean it was the the main 
the the main thrust of what the third or fourth Fast of the Furious movie is what if cars but also under cars. <laughs> yes. And like we Bond did it in 65 or whatever. It's really quite progressive, yeah, in the car chase uh world. Uh few few quick details from the book. Um Dr. No uh, doesn't lose his hands somehow to radiation. Uh, Chinese gangsters uh, in New York City cut off his hands and then Much shoot better. him in the heart. But he lives because his heart is on the right side of his body. And apparently like one in a million people uh, have that condition. Uh, that, that is so much that's better. That's so much yeah. cooler. I don't know why they didn't go with that. That's, it's, it's really, that's one line of dialogue. The scene, yeah, the scene of, of him... Uh, him revealing his plan and his backstory is is really awesome in the book. I just want to read Bond's. He's he's hanging out with Doctor No. His uh, Doctor No is like, "Can I get you anything?" Bond's like, "I would like a medium vodka dry martini with a slice of lemon peel, shaken and not stirred, please. I would prefer Russian or Polish vodka." It's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what other vodka he thought he was gonna get, like R- Russian Polish vodka. That's pretty much it. Yeah. That's, that's the big boys. I don't think I don't think Doctor No had Tito's. Yeah, I don't. I don't want Tito's. I don't like Tito's. <laughs> don't. That's the line they cut. Uh, and then when Doctor No is uh, is saying like, "Let's not bullshit each other here," as they're having dinner, um, Bond says this line. Um, uh, but if we are to talk, let us have it without any more stage effects. You are an interesting man. It is not necessary to make yourself more interesting than you are. You have suffered the misfortune of losing your hands. You wear mechanical hands. Many men wounded in the war wear them. You wear contact lenses <laughs> instead of spectacles. You use a walkie-talkie instead of a bell to summon your servant. I like that. <laughs> That's a big deal. Like, oh, I think you're really fancy. Walkie-talkie. Uh, no doubt you have other tricks like walkie-talkies. <laughs> But, Dr. No, you are still a man who sleeps and eats and defecates like the rest of us. Ooh. <laughs> oh, like, you, may, you may be fancy with your polio vaccine. I know you poop. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you may, I don't know, brush your teeth with toothpaste or scrub your hair, but you also take big shit. <laughs> I mean, just big. I think they're just massive. We could go out to have wings tonight. You'd have a weird dump in the morning. You'd have a weird poo. And you wouldn't even have hands to clean yourself. (laughs) Now, now where's my Russian booze? All right. Last two uh, categories I want to bring up before we uh, call it. uh, Dumbest henchman in the movie. Uh, I think that award goes to the guy who, for some reason, has a megaphone, uh, decided to use the megaphone that day and says, we'll be back. We'll be back with dogs. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's dumb. <laughs> I didn't didn't need to do that. Could have just shot at him. Yeah, my, mine's a mine's a, a, a more scientific one, which which is my dumbest henchman is the henchman who, after they get cleaned of radioactive goop. Um, put puts clean towels <laughs> all over them, and then uses the Geiger counter on the towels. <laughs> yeah, um, um, that is probably my A number one because he's supposed to be a scientist. Yeah, I'm. I think if I'm gonna go dumbest henchman, I, I'm still gonna go Mr. Jones. He just makes so many. He's a rookie. I think that was his first day on the job. Yeah. I think if Mr. Jones doesn't commit suicide, 
you know, he's at least fired, you know, he, yeah. he gets demoted. He's, he's given people parking I mean, tickets on crab key. He may, you know what? He's probably to, bl- to blame. He was probably supposed to collect the cool caterpillar. Uh, <laughs> and he, he like fucked up. And I he, got like, a spider. <laughs> yeah. Everyone just goes along with that. They're like, um, like, oh, but yeah, tarantulas yeah. are poisonous, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, what's going on? They're like, yeah, his dad's a senator. And, like, oh. <laughs> and then this is your category. Uh, who wins in a fist fight, Dr. No or you? Ooh. I will I will let everyone else go. I will go last. I I think Dr. No would beat me in a fist fight. I have I have a feeling that he's a pretty he's a pretty capable physical specimen. I think he'd almost have to be to have been such such a successful gangster. I like how he does throw down with Bond uh for a second, which the the mastermind, you know, armchair types like Blofeld don't usually do. Yeah. Uh, and I like the way he grabs his hand hand with another hand to like throw towards bond as a weapon yeah i i get the sense that there's a little bit of physicality to him like i think he's a bond villain i i wouldn't want to fight in a fist fight i think i'd lose I, i'm i'm losing for sure okay <laughs> fair enough <laughs> maybe maybe right. if i have some heady, heavy water and uh uh convenient metal pole that he can't yeah. grip on because of his metal hands but I think if he's in, in your apartment or my house, uh, I'm fucked. No, I would beat him and climb the rope in gym class, I think. <laughs> yeah. If we were going to do that. Yeah, that's my... I have I have the one question, which is, am, am, am I fighting in a field of my choosing, or is it just, like, my bedroom right now? Uh, yeah, I think he, bur- he bursts into your bedroom <laughs> right now. Okay, okay, okay. But you I, have I, odd jobs had. This is... Ooh, see, then I win every time. <laughs> Again, we've all played Goldeneye. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think I have two things working for me. I'm gonna call it a 50-50 chance because of them. Here's the two things. One, uh, all of his weight is front loaded. I get behind him. <laughs> I get I get one little push, and like those puppies are heavy. He's gone down. Yeah, it's a good point. He's he the whole he's a tall man. A lot of the weight is in the center, but tipped forward. All it takes is one good little push, and like I don't know how well he can stand up. Yeah, if, if I'm um, fighting him on the cruise ship from Jason Takes Manhattan, which has no railings, I'm pushing him off that for sure. Easy, easy peasy. <laughs> My second point, and this I think is the most important, is that yes, he has mechanical hands, and yes, they could crush a statue, but at the end of the dinner, I watch him attempt to pick up a handkerchief, and I watch him have to, with two hands, hold it to wipe the guh <laughs> off of his face. <laughs> And that that is not an amount of sort of succinct movement. That is not an, an amount of hand of like robot hand regular eye coordination that scares me. Yeah, yeah <laughs> those things are not meant for fine motor functions. You know, they're, no, they're no, battering no. rams. The the he's gonna come in, he's gonna take about three swings. I'm gonna slip behind him, I'm gonna give him a tiny shove, he's gonna be on the ground, he will not be able to get back up. Yeah. I think, or he hits me with the first swing. That's why I'm I'm calling it a fifty-fifty. Yeah, I think my strategy would be to challenge him to like a greased watermelon competition and hope he drowns. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you could challenge him to rock paper scissors yeah. <laughs> and then just know he can't throw scissors. Yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, there's a lot of ways I would I would use I would yeah, definitely I, use trickery. I like yeah I like to imagine in all fist fights in life 
you can just turn it into like a uh, Wally Sean as, as Vizzini and Princess Bride and like, how about a battle of wits, sir? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he'd go. Here's the thing is that with him, I bet you could. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Dr. No has the, the yeah. ego to fall for He's that. the exception. He's the exception, not the rule there. Uh, no. Well, I think we've just about done it. We've talked longer than the movie of Dr. No. So yes. that, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Max. Thanks so much for anyone who'd listened to all of this. We'll probably edit it some, but yeah, it's, I mean, uh, look, if you're looking for a podcast, it's just three cool dudes looking for other cool dudes to talk about James Bond. You got it. This is it. Thanks to our, our corporate sponsors, Enron, <laughs> uh, the asbestos <laughs> company, <to> Viacom, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Um, yeah, and Lenny's robot hand. <laughs> oh, oh, and also any place where you can buy a seashell in Miami for four hundred fucking dollars. Yes, Smirnoff. Um, oh, we were drinking uh, during this time. We just had a, a drink each, but uh, we were thinking uh, a themed drink per per episode would be fun. For if you're reading, watching, or listening to this Doctor Now episode. Uh, I mean, reading the book or watching the movie. Uh, be great if you could read this. Um, you can you can have the the medium dry uh, vodka martini with lemon peel. That's in the book. Bond also drinks. Uh, there's a, a part of the book where he goes to dinner with Coral and and Lighter and has two uh, double. He has two double gin and tonics before dinner and two double gin and tonics during dinner. So that's. <laughs> That's insanely lit. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> uh, and if you're if you watch the film, as I said previously, you can also drink an entire case of invisible red stripe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, look, re- recycling on uh, in Jamaica comes like once a year. That truck comes down your street. I get the sense in Doctor No that if you held up a lighter to anyone's mouth and like had them breathe on the oh. flame, like you'd be. In- oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the flame. The flamethrower is just guards that are off duty. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we were drinking, uh, we had, uh, dark and stormy, nice, uh, rum drink to go with, uh, the, uh, the Jamaica Island of the film. Uh, yeah, let's, let's hit it. Thanks everyone. And, uh, yeah. Um, we'll see you soon for, from Russia with we'll love. See, yeah. From Russia with love. It, uh, for that, we're going to be doing red wine with fish. So you yeah. already know <laughs> the fish goes in the wine. <laughs> it's, it has to all be a drink. <laughs> All right, Max, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, awesome, guys. Super fun. Yep, yeah, good stuff. And that's it. We did it. That was a whole episode. We talked for almost as long as the movie, and uh, you listened to all of it. What is wrong with us? Special thanks to Christopher Durenberger, who drew our awesome poster, and John Daniel, a.k.a. my dad, who wrote and recorded this groovy music you're listening to right now. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you very soon for From Russia With Love. 